can you imagine how incredibly awesome that video would be if the sound were working? <laughs> Things happen, don't they, huh? Things happen. Well, I think we can cut that off, okay? We'll work on that for this weekend. Thank you for being here. I'm glad you're here. Are you ready to hear the Word of God tonight? Come on. Are you ready for the power of the Word of God? I'm not talking about me. This isn't about me. I'm ready for the power of the Word of God because the Bible says there is a power in the Word of God. Watch this. That when it goes out, it will never come back having not accomplished the purpose for which it went out. And what that means is that God has a word for some people in this room right now from his power. And I'm thrilled to be a part of learning that with you. It was a long, long time ago, probably more than 100 years ago, our 27th president of the United States by the name of William Howard Taft woke up on a Sunday morning and decided to go to church. Now, we're not told why, we have no idea why, but the first lady, Helen Taft, chose not to go with him that day. When Mr. Taft arrived back in the White House, Mrs. Taft met him and asked the question, what was the sermon about? And the president responded, sin. His wife then responded, what did he say about it? And the president responded, he was against it. Now, we're in a three-week study here about sin, and here's my goal, that you learn more than the 27th president did 100 years ago about sin. The Bible has a lot to say about it. A very well-known preacher in America, whom I will not name because I don't want you to think bad things about him, recently said in an interview, well, in our church... We just don't talk much about sin because it makes people feel uncomfortable. And I guess what that means is they don't talk there much about the Bible because the Bible has a lot to say about sin. Did you know that it's listed in the Bible 1,000 times? And in a very general sense, you can take that number and you can kind of narrow it down into this summary that sin comes up every single chapter in the Bible. Every 30th verse, sin shows up. God has a whole lot to say about sin. And so somewhere along the line, for people who desire to live for God, there needs to be an opportunity where we step back and we say, we probably ought to know about this because it's such a big deal to him. And so for three weeks, we're kind of playing around with this topic of sin, and tonight we zero in on the Bible's solution to sin. And I want you to kind of hear that so you know kind of where we're going with it because what the solution of sin is, is called the gospel. You might have heard that word before. The gospel is a word that means good news. And so when it comes to sin and how we're going to solve it, God has some good news about it. And tonight, we're going to wrap that together, and we're going to walk out of here understanding with clarity 
what the Bible says about sin's solution. Now, just so everybody knows, there are two things I want you to do when you leave today. I want two of these things to happen, one or the other for you. Number one, I'm going to ask you to act upon it. We're going to talk about the solution of sin, the gospel this evening. And so I want you to hear that you'll catch this as we get along, that there is something that is required of you to do. And I'm going to ask when you leave, it'll be very obvious that you act upon it. Now, if you have already acted upon it, then I'm going to ask you to share it. So you're going to learn tonight the gospel message with clarity and simplicity. You're going to learn it tonight in a way that you can communicate it to anybody you know that needs to hear it. And so when we walk out in a few minutes, here's what we're going to do. We're either going to act upon it or we're going to share it. So here we go. I want you to think of the gospel message in four chapters. I want you to think of it as if a book were written with four chapters. And all four chapters deserve an entire semester of study. And because of the limitations of time, all we can do is summarize the chapters. But if you take those four chapters and you understand them with clarity and simplicity, you will walk out of here and you will know how God plans to solve the problem of sin. It's called the gospel. Chapter one. Chapter one would be entitled, My Sin. Now let's play with that for a second. If we took those 1,000 times that the Bible references sin, in the Nunerhauser version, literally it's 995. We would find out that the predominant word that is used in the New Testament for sin is the word amartia. It's amartia, amartia. And whenever amartia is written in the New Testament, it is translated sin, and it's an old hunting word. Now, I'm not a hunter, I'm not against hunting, but it's about the idea of hunting something, and when you shoot at it, you miss the mark. That's what amartia means, miss the mark. And so let's pretend we've all got a bow and arrow right now, and we see our target, and we pull it back, and we let go of the arrow, and the arrow does not hit the target. That is amartia. Now, I don't know if you've ever had anything like this happen, but I got to thinking about this idea of missing the mark. And we have at our home the craziest thing that started happening about six weeks ago. We've got a woodpecker somewhere in the neighborhood that has fallen in love with the side of our house. It's right by our bedroom window. And he will get on the side of our house and he is pecking a hole into the side of our house. Now, I'm thinking about what am I going to do to solve that issue? And again, as I said, I'm not a hunter. I'm not against hunting. I just don't hunt. I hunt golf balls. If you've ever golfed with me, you know I hunt golf balls a whole lot. So I don't hunt, but that's okay. But I have in my possession a little BB gun that one of the boys had when they were in our home. And so a few weeks ago, I got tired of being woken up by this stupid bird. And so your preacher gets a cup of coffee, walks outside really early in the morning, grabs my ammo, little thing of BBs and my BB gun, and I sit in my swing. 
and I'm swinging, waiting on that stupid bird. And pretty soon he comes and he attaches onto the side of our house and he starts doing, and so I put my coffee cup down real carefully and I picked up my bazooka and I snuck up as close as I could and I got him in my aim and I pulled the trigger. I'm Artilla, not even close. And I've not caught him yet. That's missing the mark. Now watch this. When the Bible talks about what God desires of all people, his desire is that he has this perfect idea of how we are to live and what we are to believe and how we are to think and the attitudes that we profess. And God has this beautiful picture of how we will reflect his glory in everything we do, say, think, and feel. And nobody accomplishes that. Everybody misses the mark on that. Nobody hits the bullseye. And the Bible with clarity brings that up on a number of occasions. Let me show you Psalm 14.3. All have turned aside. They have together become corrupt. There's no one who does good. Look at this last phrase. Not even one. Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Everybody, amartia. Nobody lives exactly how God wants them to be. That's why the title of the series is Broken Halos. We've all got halos that have been broke. Now, I've always believed that the best way to learn something is to experience it. And so I can talk about the fact that we all sin. We all have sin in our life, and we can say, yeah, I agree with that. I understand that here. But when you experience it, then it begins to sink in. And so here's what I want you to do. I want you to try to think of the last day or so of your life. Think about where you've been, what you've been doing. Just think about the last couple days of your life. And I want you to think in your mind, on your own, one thing where you missed the mark. One thing where you did, said, thought, or felt anything outside the bullseye of God's perfect plan for your life. Think about what it would be right then. Think about it. What did I do? What did I say? What did I feel? The reality of that is that everybody sins, including you. That's chapter one. Chapter one leads to the second chapter. The second chapter brings up the idea of God's grace. Now, it's interesting when you start talking about it in these terms, because of chapter one, somebody has to pay the penalty for that sin. Somebody's got to even the score. And that might very well happen to you on this earth while you live out your life and experience the consequences of sin in your life. It will very definitely happen when we leave this earth and we face the next life of the consequences for our sin here. Let me show you two of the most disheartening verses in the whole Bible. If I could cut a couple verses out of the Bible, it would be these. James 2.10, look at it. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. Now think about that for a second. Let's just say that you've only sinned one time in your life, one time. And if that's what you really think, 
That one sin for you is dishonesty because sin is like Lay's potato chips. You just don't take one of them, okay? But let's say you've only got one. One time in my life, I've fallen short of the glory of God. Here's what that verse says. Then that means you're guilty of everything. Just one thing. Now add to that the other most disheartening verse in the Bible, Romans 14. For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. Each of us will give an account of himself to God. What that means is that whatever your sin is in your life, that you will face a moment of having to give an account of that before a holy, perfect, just God. Chapter one leads to chapter two, because watch this. God loves us so much, he doesn't want that to happen to us. Remember John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that instead of us paying the penalty of our sin, that he will graciously give his son and his son will graciously crawl on a cross and he will die a humiliating, painful death. Watch this, as the penalty for my sin. And the reason that happens is because God is graceful to us. Now, you and I have heard that so many times, I don't know that it clicks for us anymore. I'm going to be really straightforward a couple times in this sermon, and this is one of them. We've heard about the grace of God so many times, it might have lost its impact. Sin is in our life, consequences coming. God says, I love you so much, I don't want you to have to face it. I'm going to have my son do it on your behalf as a sign of my grace. Last week, Susan and I were in Florida with our our kids. We try to get down there every once in a while when we can and hang out with them a little bit. And I found out that my, my grandson, Ace, who is five now, is in kindergarten. And what I'm finding out is some things that I do not like about our education system. And I don't know if it's just Florida or if it's everywhere, but I found some things out that I did not like at all. And that poor kid goes to school. He's in kindergarten, for God's sake. And in all of his kindergarten friends, they're in class, and they walk out of there every single day with this, this basic report card. It's got 10, 12 things on it, and you get graded on every single one of those things every single day. You get a green mark, which is good. You get a yellow mark, which is I don't know about you. You get a red mark as we're thinking about kicking you out. And so every single day, those kids are getting graded on all those things. And I know I'm a protective grandpa. I looked at that and I thought, golly, can we just let them be kids? Five years old dealing with that. Well, I started looking at the great report card. I said, I man, there's a lot of greens that he gets. I said, you're doing a good job. But he is on a streak of a few yellows and a streak of a few reds that his parents aren't happy about. Apparently, he doesn't do what he's told the first time he's told it. I'm 60 years old, and I don't have that worked out yet. And so he gets a bad mark on it. And for somewhere along the line, he has figured out to be a clown every once in a while, and he just falls down on the ground, and he rolls around and laughs and stands up and gets about his business, and his teacher doesn't like that, and so he gets a red mark. And I heard about that, and I thought, man, the world would be so much better if that were socially acceptable to do. I mean, can you just go to Walmart, you know, and put all your stuff down there, and the cashier's right there, and she goes, that'd be $75.13. 
and you just fall down and roll around and laugh a little bit. Wouldn't that make the matter better? Ladies, next time your husband says, maybe we'll have him for supper, just fall down and roll around and laugh a little bit. And I thought, man, is it that bad? So I sat down with him and I said, dude, we can't do this, man. You just can't. Okay, I won't do it anymore. I won't do it anymore. So the next day he goes to school. Nana picks him up, looks at her report card, red mark, fell down, rolled around laughing. And his daddy called because he was out working, called uh, uh, my wife, his mother, Asa's grandma, and said, how'd he do? And she goes, well, I got a red mark. Well, I'm going to have the phone. So he's on the phone. His dad talked to him and said, dude, you know, you can't do that. And so here's the punishment you're going to get when you get home. And he says, okay, okay, okay. And then he said this. But dad, just so you know, uh, Nana has me right now. We're in the drive up at McDonald's. And dad, that is called grace. <laughs> he said, I don't deserve it. That's why they call it grace. And he's exactly right. Exactly right. Chapter one, there's sin in our life. Chapter two, the grace of God comes in. And because he loves us, says, I don't want you to have to pay the penalty of your sin. I'm going to pay it through my son on your behalf. And that right there, that is the gospel. The gospel of Jesus, the plan of God to solve the sin of the world, to put his son on a cross who gracefully dies as punishment so that we don't have to pay the penalty. That's chapter two. Chapter two leads to chapter three. Chapter three is then my response. Now let me talk for a minute about that. We talk here often probably more so me than Winston or some of our other preachers, but we, 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 I, I find myself often camping out in the book of Acts in the Bible, and the reason I think it's important to do that, why I gravitate there often, is because as we know here at Eastside, we're scholars on the book of Acts now, that is the history of the church. So it tells us how the church started. It tells us everything they did for the first 30, 40 years of the church so we know what we're supposed to believe, what we're supposed to do, what we're not supposed to do. We can learn everything of what we're supposed to do from the book of Acts. We're always going back to the book of Acts to learn that. And so tonight we're talking about this eternal, uh, universal issue that everybody has. Everybody has sin. God loves everybody so much that he said, I'm going to gracefully give my son to pay the penalty for that sin. So that penalty is paid. And so you ask your question, what, I, what should I do about that? And the answer is back in the book of Acts. The very first time the gospel was ever presented. It happened on the day of Pentecost. It was about 50 days after Jesus had risen from the dead. He spent 40 days walking around proving he was alive. He then told his people, I want you to go into Jerusalem and hang on because things are going to be happening there. And so Jesus moves up into heaven, ascends back into heaven. And 10 days later, on the day of Pentecost, one of the greatest festivities of the year in Jerusalem, millions of people in Jerusalem, Peter stands up with a group of people and he shares them chapter one, chapter two. He talked to them about their sin in their life 
And he talked to them about Jesus being sent to pay the penalty of that. And so I go back there and what I find out is I find out that they ask Peter, what am I supposed to do about this? Look at the 37th verse, which comes on the ending of that sermon. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and they said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Now, if there's anything I want you to hear, I want you to hear this. The grace of God through Jesus demands a response. It demands a response. And somewhere along in America, we've taught ourselves that because he died on the cross, then everybody's cool. Everybody's in good standing with God. And I want you to know that the good standing with God only comes when you make a response. It's made available to us, but it is not yours until you receive it. And so Peter hears their question and he tells them, this is exactly how you respond. Look at verse 38. Repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ. Notice that it said, every one of you. Now, I don't know everybody in this room. I know a lot of you, and a lot of you don't know. Some of you I've never seen before till tonight. I don't know where you come from, who you are, what you've done, what's going on in your life. I have no idea about your past, and none of that matters because every one of you are called by God to respond to his grace. And the response is very simple. You don't have to be a brain surgeon to figure this out. Repent and be baptized. That's the response. I want to make sure that you understand repentance. It's a word that basically means to turn around, and there are some aspects of repentance. Confession, contrition, change, and commitment. Confession, I confess that I'm a sinner. I do not live up to the standards of God. I am amartia all day long. I feel a deep sense of sorrow and contrition over the sin in my life over that. I am broken over the fact that I'm a sinner. Now, can I take a minute and can I share my heart with you here? For as long as I can remember, while I've been in the ministry anyway, we have tried our darndest as a church and as Christian people to make our faith attractive. And we want people to be drawn in saying, man, that is awesome. I want to be a part of the faith. That is so cool. And so we do all kinds of things. We make our music the best it can be. We buy lights and smoke and we do everything. And we get out in the world and we love people because we're trying to say, man, don't you want some of this? And so people come into the faith. They're excited. It's the best thing they've ever heard. And the cost that we've paid for that is that people aren't broken over sin anymore. When people go into the baptistry, they ought not have a smile on their, their, their jaws on how awesome this is. There ought to be a brokenness in their heart over the sin in their life that put his son on the cross. We've got to restore contrition. Winston did a Stellar job last week talking about the necessity of this brokenness in their heart. And God says, that's what I require of you. Change. 
I'm not gonna live the way I've been living. There's gonna be specific, visible change in how I live my life from this point on. If you give your life to Jesus and one month later, nothing's changed in your life, you didn't give your life to Jesus. Change must happen and commitment follows. Repentance is ongoing, it's never stopping. You're constantly confessing, constantly contrite, constantly changing. One and done might work for John Calipari, it don't work for Jesus. <laughs> Commitment is happening all the time, daily, over and over and over. And that's what God requires of someone, to receive his grace. I wanna make sure you understand baptism. It's performed in what is called immersion. That is when the body goes underneath the water and the body comes up out of the water. And there's a reason for that. Because it is a picture of what is happening. That the old me is gone and buried and dead and I'm somebody new now. Why? Because I'm not gonna live the way I used to live and I have been forgiven by all of that. And so that is a picture of death and burial and resurrection to a new life. You don't get that picture with sprinkling water in your head. Baptism in the New Testament is always immersion. I want you to hear this. There's a necessity factor about baptism. I could talk for an hour about this. All I got is two minutes. From this point in the book of Acts, chapter two, every detailed story of anybody who became a Christian happened at baptism. We don't have any examples at all in the Bible of anybody who said, I want to follow Jesus. I'm going to take a pass on the baptism. We don't have any examples of that. And if you think you might be the one exception that God chooses, then you're crazy. The Bible calls a very clear response to the gospel message. God loves you so much. He said, I'm going to pay all this. I'm going to love you so much. I'm going to pay it all. You don't have to pay it. But I demand that you respond. Repentance and baptism. That's chapter 3. It leads to chapter 4, which are the gifts of God. A little guy by the name of uh, Dr. Paul Little wrote a book one time. He wrote several books that became classics in the Christian faith a few dec decades ago, and one of those was called How to Give Away Your Faith. Dr. Little presented in the book, I think, the best image that I've ever seen about the whole gospel presentation of accepting Jesus. He made up a story, and we're going to put ourselves in that story tonight. So Dr. Little said, we're all going to meet on the southern coast of California. And we're going to get up right by the ocean. We're going to be right there at the coast itself. We're all going to be there. And so everybody in this room, we're right there, and we've got one command, swim to Hawaii. And so we've got our swim gear on. We are ready to go. We're going to swim to Hawaii, which if you're wondering, is 2,500 miles away. And they shoot the gun and we take off. 
And there's some in our church that are, I mean, they are Olympic-type people, man. They are together. They got it all happening physically. And, man, they're going to get out there. They're going to get past the sandbar. They're going to break over those first waves. They're going to be out there so that we can hardly see them. And there's a lot of people that are still in pretty good shape, and they're going to get out there ways. There's some of us that, you know, we're probably going to get to the buoys where the jet skis come in. And there's some of y'all, like my wife, it's going to get to your kneecap and you're going to be done. And so we're all going to be at different levels of getting to Hawaii. But there's one thing we all got in common. What is it? We all what? Drown. Nobody makes it. That's chapter one. Little says in his book that when we're about to breathe our last, an ocean liner pulls up next to us. It's one of them cruise jobs. And they throw out a raft and they offer to pull us up and take us on a free trip to Hawaii. And all the way, we can enjoy all the amenities involved in it. That's chapter two. Little asks the question at this point, what kind of person turns that down? So let's apply it to the gospel message. Chapter one, there's sin in my life. Chapter two, the grace of God comes in. Chapter three, I respond. And if you're not sure about what you ought to do with this yet, let me show you chapter four because God gives gifts to those who respond. And look at the gifts from the 38th verse, the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So my sins are forgiven, and the one who created the world has taken residence up in my life. Do you remember when we first started this study this evening, do you remember this? When we were talking about sin in my life and I have to give an account of that and settle that with God. And now we're talking about forgiveness and the presence of the Almighty in me. What kind of person chooses that and not that? That is the gospel message. And if you have accepted it, you've known everything that I've said tonight, and now you know how to communicate it to people that you love who need to hear it. But if you have never acted upon that, who says no to that? What kind of person would reject that? And so I appeal to you that if you need to act upon that, you come see me at the end of this service. You get to Pathway tomorrow night. You find somebody who knows something about this and never again live a day here when you could be here. Father, I thank you that all of this is made possible by grace. And none of it occurs.
had your son said no to the plan. None of it occurs had you not agreed to give up your son. None of it occurs had Jesus not died on the cross. And I am eternally grateful that you brought people into my life more than 40 years ago who told me about the solution to sin. And I pray for anybody in this room tonight who this has been made clear to them for the very first time. God, I know as soon as they walk out of this, this campus, I know the minute it happens, the devil will attack them. I pray for the power of your Holy Spirit to convict and to call so that no one misses out on the good gifts that you provide. Thank you so much for what you've done. And I pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen.